everyone. It's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, Security Boulevard. You're listening to another DevOps chat. Joining us in this DevOps, DevOps chat is Reese Arkins, and Reese is a director of product at White Source. Reese, is that correct? That's right, Alan. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. And, and yes, good. Thank you. So, Reese, our audience is pretty familiar with White Source. We, um, we work quite a bit with them, and of course, they are kind of become one of the bigger players in what's become known as the SCA or software composition analysis market. And, and you know, that's the fancy name, but yeah. it, it's a lot about open source, securing open source components. Because sometimes when you say open source security, people think we're talking about security tools, which are open source. They yeah, that's true. Place, yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? The exactly. So, um, Reese, I don't know, maybe there are people who aren't, though. You want to give a quick background on white source for maybe people who aren't familiar? Yeah, sure. So look, in general, the, the keywords are open source and security, like you said, but you know, that casts a pretty, pretty wide net. Um, as you already mentioned, the you know the technical term. If you're into the kind of uh, Forrester Gartner approach, is software composition analysis. Um, you know our uh, our kind of tagline on our website. I actually really like it, and it says uh, use open source freely and fearlessly, and that's the way we try to distill it down um, because uh, you know ultimately that's our goal. Obviously, there's massive benefits in using open source. There are some, I wouldn't say downsides, but, you know, it's not a completely free lunch. And so what we, what we seek to do is to help our customers to, uh, you know, to, to use it freely and fearlessly, meaning that they don't have to hold back and they can realize all the benefits of open source and, of you, and avoid some of the, you know, the security uh, pitfalls that are potentially there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Reese, uh, White Source has recently um, published their annual report, the State of Open Source Security Vulnerabilities. Um, it, it's available for download on the White Source site yet, or will? Be yeah, started? that's right. Yeah, so definitely. By the time anybody's listening now, um, it is available. It's a twelve-page PDF, and uh, yeah, it gives a summary of you know both the state of affairs as well as we try to look into what has kind of changed. What's, what are the trends? Okay. So I guess you opened it with that. Talk to us. What are the trends here we should be looking at? Okay. Well, you know, the first, uh, you know, the headline number is really the, the total and the growth. Um, it's probably no surprise that 2019 saw a record number of reported vulnerabilities in open source. Um, ballpark, it's around a 50% increase, just short of it. So we're seeing... 5-0? 0 yeah. Hey. Compared to 2018. So let, let's dig in on that. Um, is it because we're using more open source components, so the pie is bigger, if you will, and so when we look at a bigger pie, of course, there's going to be the slices got bigger in the bigger pie, or is it the, you know, not the opposite, but another situation where we're just seeing more vulnerabilities per, 
1,000 components or whatever. So the, while the pie may have grown a little bit, the, the, the slices have actually gotten much bigger or, or heavier. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's certainly an aspect of both. Uh, well, what we think it is, is, is one of the things you said and, and one that, uh, that you didn't mention. So it is definitely the case, you know, the pie is getting bigger. There is more open source being produced than ever before. Um, it's not as much about how much pie we're eating, but how much pie we're making, right? So there is more being, uh, more open source being put out um, than ever. Um, it means not just more packages, but packages are being released frequently as well. There's a lot of code added to it. So number one, we got the pie growing. Uh, number two uh, is not as obvious, and that is that there are a lot more eyeballs on open source security. So it's more a matter of that we are finding more problems. Um, definitely more a case of that than we are creating more, you know, per thousand packages or something. Um, it's really that we are getting better at detecting vulnerabilities. Um, so in that sense, that's a, a positive spin on the fact that the number of vulnerabilities is going up. Very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, it's a positive spin, uh, but nevertheless, vulnerabilities have jumped up 50% in that, you know, it's hard yeah. to... And, you know, um, there's, a, uh, there's like a metaphor that I like using about open source vulnerabilities because one of the kind of misconceptions about open source vulnerabilities is that they're all kind of like new, you know, and, and kind of like we both just mentioned then, like, oh, people are making more or we're finding more. So it's the key point is that we're finding them, not necessarily when they're being made. So, you know, quite a lot of the ones that were found in 2019 weren't necessarily created in 2019. It's just that those eyeballs um, and the improved methods that we have uh, in the sort of security research industry um, that we are better at finding them now. And the metaphor uh, I use is that, you know, to to an open source user, when you find out that there is, you know, a vulnerability in your in one of your third-party components, you know, it might feel like a flashbang grenade or something, but it is a lot closer to, like, an unexploded World War II bomb. I mean, these problems in the code can sometimes be sitting for many, many years, and then one day they are discovered not because they're new, but because they were discovered. And similarly, the first thing people need to do is to work out, you know, just how dangerous they are. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I'm of a mixed mixed mindset on these reasons. I, you know, I've been in the vulnerability space since 2002. One of the companies I founded, Still Secure, came out with that vulnerability manager back then. And, yeah. and I've seen, you know, we've seen the pattern. Open source does present its own um, unique sort of circumstances. But quite frankly, that was always one of the supposedly pluses of open source is that there were more eyes on the code. Yeah. Right? And that's why inherently it would be more secure. And, of course, as open source uses blossomed, we found that, you know, inherently it's not more secure it's not inherently less secure either, though. Yeah. You know, all, all, I, all I, 
I like that question uh, because I have a, an opinion on that one. So, uh, you know, the first part is, you know, this, uh, this concept of eyeballs, and I've said it myself already. Um, in a way, it can be like a misunderstanding. Uh, you know, the original statement was, you know, with enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. Um, and that kind of got translated into this idea that open source is inherently secure because there's many eyeballs looking at it. Um, the reality is there are many, many lines of open source code where the, the total count of eyeballs that have looked at it is like two. <laughs> so that is a misunderstanding. But um, it, the idea that open source is inherently more secure, it's close. Uh, there, um, one of the product directors at, at GitHub recently said that open source is not more inherently secure, but it is inherently more securable. And I think that's a really great way of putting it because I like that. Yeah. So when it's when it's all out there, and as we improve the tools, it is inherently more securable. It's not that automatically. We've got to work to get there. Huh. Interesting. Um, all right. Let's let's look at. Um, I, I think the other thing people have to also keep in mind when reading these reports and looking at open source components is this this isn't some other company that's using open source, or it doesn't only apply to small companies that are using open source, right? 99%, and if I'm wrong about that number, tell me, but you know, 90, a high 90% of all organizations use open source. Right, right. And that includes that, that's, the that's the approximate figure, yeah. I mean, yeah. you could say the number of projects that use it is lower, but in terms of companies, it's around 99% because pretty much if you have a website, you're probably using some open source components in it. Yep. So, you know, we, we look, we look, I mean, the only reason to look with, with what came before is to help us look ahead, right? Right. And and though things are a little cloudy right now with all this corona and COVID stuff, but <laughs> you know, when we look at 2020, Reese, what can we learn from, from this report of 2019 and what can we take with us going into the new year? Yeah, so we're definitely seeing uh, one, the, the really big change is a real step up in um, the research and reporting of vulnerabilities. It's been a real shift. And uh, I think that the the data from like 2018 to 2019, which we're looking at now, and then from 2019 to 2020, I think we're going to see like some really interesting um, changes just because like we're looking a lot more. And in particular, in the last 12 months, we've seen a real realization of like automated security scanning. So, you know, there's a few, you know, companies in the space, but for example, uh, GitHub have done a great job with their security lab and what they call CodeQL. And that lets security researchers, you know, look for, you know, a single type of mistake across like thousands and thousands of projects. So we're going to see a real ramp up of that. Um, to some extent, that could potentially be the low hanging fruit. Um, but it's still good that these are getting caught and getting picked up. Um, the other thing that we're seeing a trend in, and this also actually is another contributor to why the numbers are going up, is that in the past, in open source, we haven't been the best as, at a, as a community at you know correctly documenting and responsibly disclosing vulnerabilities when they're created. Right, so... 
Um, this concept that, you know, you should inform the, you know, the authors, owners, or maintainers of code, um, you know, and give them 30 to 90 days to fix, have the patches already available, and then release them. That hasn't been how open source has rolled a lot. Um, that's partly because the people that might find them aren't familiar with that, you know, but this is getting much better. And I think that'll be one of the big changes you see in 2020 is we'll start to make a bit more sense of the chaos and see improved kind of like formal reporting rates compared to previous years. Absolutely. Um, Reese, I, you know, I'm going through the report a bit as, as we're talking here. Um, one of the things, my, one of my pet peeves with, with open source use is, we, we, as the report indicates, we've gotten better at finding open source vulnerabilities. We've gotten better at releasing new versions of open source components that patch or fix vulnerabilities. What we haven't gotten better at is stopping people from still using the old versions and even continuing to download these old versions of yeah. open source components. Make sense? Yeah, look, this is a great question. It's not covered in our report, but it's absolutely related. Um, you know, so there is this uh, pretty great company called Cloudflare. Um, I was going to say they're a CDN company, but they do many things. But uh, they actually put out a blog post in January of this year that said people are not upgrading outdated um, packages. And the reason they know that is because they are the hosts of one of the most popular uh, you know, web CDNs, uh, CDNJS. So a lot of people, um, when they use you know, a, a library like React or Lodash or jQuery, um, in their website, they reference to CDN.js, and so people load it off the CDN. Um, but based on that, they have the ability to monitor what people use, and they notice that you know, once uh, you know, a version like 2.2.1 has reached a certain level of use, that level of use only gradually tapers off over years, even when you know, 2.3.0, 3.0.0, 4.0.0 released. And the conclusion from that is, is true, that people are not updating um, once newer versions are available. You know, if they create a new website, they use the latest, but they don't go and update their old ones. Um, so at Wysource, we actually released a tool that uh, detects CDNJS references in HTML pages. I mean, it detects a lot of dependencies everywhere, but we added support for CDNJS as part of an effort to try to help people automate that process. Um, because, you know, if, you, if you're on outdated dependencies, it's pretty much guaranteed that you're going to get hit by vulnerabilities at some point. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so here, here's another one. <laughs> While we're at this, let me just throw the rest of my pet peeves around. Yeah, go ahead. Vulnerabilities and open source, and let's discuss them. So the problem, and this was a problem in 2002 and 2005, 10, 15, and 20 as well. The problem is, is that, quite frankly, we get desensitized and have a hard time prioritizing, especially as we've moved security left, right, into DevSecOps. Yeah, yeah. Left. So oftentimes, it may not even be a security person. It's a developer or a DevOps team member who gets this long list of vulnerabilities, you know, and they may have, like, some CVE 
um, you know, a priority, critical, you know, not, you know, high critical, whatever. Yeah. But it may not even be something that is germane or applicable to this particular, you know, application or what have yeah. And, and so helping not only the security folks now, but we got to help the DevOps and the developer people prioritize how to get the most bang for their buck, how to make these applications as sort secure as possible without totally impacting time to release and, and so forth. Because what we've learned is if, if there's, if we give them too many vulnerabilities to fix that it jeopardizes releases and stuff, yeah, vulnerabilities yeah. just don't get fixed. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a it's another great question. Uh, we we've seen that a lot um, as they increase. You know, the better the better we do our job, say at White Source, the more uh, alerts people are getting and the potential for them to be desensitized. Uh, now, the secret to overcoming that, I shouldn't say secret. Um, the way to overcome that is by prioritization and triaging and. There's multiple ways that you can do it. And, you know, ideally the tools you use, you know, automate that as much as possible. But like, for example, a lot of companies have internal tools. Um, and if you've got like even a high or critical severity on an internal facing application that requires, you know, a malicious user, um, that's a really big difference compared to if that's, you know, on a public facing application. Um, so first of all, just balancing between, you know, internal versus external facing, that's almost like a static rule you can use. Um, the next phase is differentiating between, you know, dependencies that are used in production versus dependencies that are used in development or as part of the build and release tool chain. It's very rare because remembering that when we talk about vulnerabilities, it's generally talking about a mistake. You know, this is not a malicious act. Um, we classify vulnerabilities and malicious uh, different. And we may even break those out in future years. So when you're talking about vulnerabilities, which is an, an oversight or a mistake, the chance that a mistake in the development or the testing dependencies you have would actually translate into an exploitable problem in production is pretty low. So that's a second way of kind of categorizing and triaging. Um, and then the final way, um, and this is one of white sources, you know, secret sources, is we literally have a product called or a feature called Prioritize. And what that does is when it takes when a vulnerability is there, it analyzes your use of that dependency and essentially passes like an AST parser and it determines whether it is possible to reach that vulnerable code or not. And what we found is that actually reduces down the number of what we call effective vulnerabilities, it reduces that down by 80%. So, you know, even if you didn't have those first two steps of differentiating between public versus private and dev versus non-dev, you can on average reduce by about 80%, um, you know, what would otherwise or could otherwise overwhelm developers. Um, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Even 20% can be a lot, but the worst thing you can do is get your developers kind of desensitized to that. You want to make sure that when you, when you ring the fire alarm, that it's for a good reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Reese, as I mentioned to you before we got started, we start talking about this stuff and boom, we, we're out of time that quickly. And, and, 
we are. <laughs> We're way no over problem. time, actually. But it's all good. I thought we had a great conversation. Um, sounds like a great report. Please, folks, if you're interested, and this is something of interest to you, go over to the uh, White Source site and uh, download the report for yourself. It's a pretty, I mean, though it's 11 or 12 pages, it's a, you know, it's not heavy in text, lots of graphics and great Yeah, charts. it's it's very readable. We put a lot of work yeah. into it, you know, to try to, you know, distill it down to the important points. Absolutely. Highly, highly recommend making, you know, downloading this, adding it to your library. Hey, Reese, thanks for joining us. Keep up the great work over there at White Source. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me today. All righty. Reese Arkins, Director of Product, White Source. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com Security Boulevard. You just listened to another DevOps chat. <laughs>